for you as we get started this morning. In your mind, if you were to rank the 12 disciples in order of how well they're known, who would you put at the top of the list? Who's the most well-known disciple? Okay, John. Some say, who would say Peter? Okay, anybody say John? What about Judas? Who says Judas is more well-known? Okay, so you've got Peter, you've got John. I mean, everybody knows Peter because Peter talked a lot, right? He got to walk on water. Peter denied Jesus. Everybody knows Judas because Judas uh, was a traitor, right? People know John because he wrote the book of John. He also wrote three letters with his name. We know Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. But I want to talk about Andrew this morning. Andrew is lesser known, although when you see the listing of the 12 disciples, uh, at least in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, you find them in groups of four. The first four uh, always have Andrew in it. Andrew's always a part of that first four. Uh, Judas, if you look, tends to be like the last one. So there's some sort of priority given, the ones that are closest. Um, John, James, and who was the other one? Peter, right? Those three that were close. And then there was Andrew. He seems to be kind of a, uh, a fourth member. When Jesus was asked by his disciples in Mark 13, hey, look at the temple. And then Jesus said, oh, it's all going to be destroyed. Uh, it says there in Mark 13 that it was John, James, Peter, and Andrew uh, that asked him privately, tell us, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? So he's there. He's, he wasn't invited to go on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. He wasn't invited. It was just the, the three uh, but he definitely seems to be close, but we don't tend to know a lot about him. The Gospels don't say too much about Andrew. He's the quieter one. Uh, his brother is Peter. So imagine having a brother named, uh, you know, like Peter, and then there's just you, and maybe you're the introvert. Uh, maybe you're thinking, oh, he gets all the attention, or maybe you're thinking, good, he gets all the attention, uh, I don't want it on me. I don't know what Andrew's personality was like, but he was the lesser known one, the one that seems more ordinary to us. His name in Greek means manly or conqueror, the manly one. His parents were hoping that that would be the case for him. But what's interesting is his name is Greek. He comes from a family that's not Greek. Peter is an Aramaic name. Uh, and so scholars say that there's some sort of cultural openness to the fact that they're naming uh, their son, at least one of their sons, with a Greek name. It'd be kind of like if I was named Jose, right? Um, something that's a common name in another culture, uh, and we have a lot of people named Jose here in California, uh, but it would represent some sort of cultural openness there. He was a fisherman, just like his brother Peter, and there are many things that we can learn about Andrew. Church tradition says that he went after Christ as a missionary to the Greek people. Perhaps even having that Greek name gave him a special interest. We don't know. Uh, but he died, church tradition tells us, as a martyr for Jesus. In fact, he was scheduled to be, he was supposed to be crucified, but he said, you know what, I'm not worthy to be crucified like this. Put me on the other type of cross, a cross more like an X shape. And so even today, uh, church tradition has it that that's the the cross of Andrew. Uh, it's kind of a, 
a shape named after him. But I want to take a look at the very first calling of Andrew in the book of John. Go to John chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to be studying the life of this lesser known but equally important disciple. John chapter 1, verse 35. Here we see John the Baptist is preaching, uh, but it's, it's, it's around the time when Jesus is starting to come onto the scene. And so in John 1, verse 35, we see John and we see two of his disciples with him. It says there in 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. Guess what? Spoiler alert, one of them is Andrew. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, there he is. That's Jesus. That's the Christ. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed who? Jesus. Jesus. So they had been following John the Baptist. So Andrew had left his fishing. Apparently he, he heard there was some guy preaching in the wilderness. He starts following John the Baptist around. John the Baptist says, look, there's the Messiah. There's the Lamb of God. And he says, i got to follow this guy. Turning around, verse 38, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> Great question. Hey, uh, what do you want? Uh, where do you live? Show us where you live. I think they wanted more than that. Come, verse 39, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. This is the very first contact Andrew has with Jesus. In fact, he's called the first called because of all the disciples that we have on record, he's the first one to start following Jesus. We don't know a lot about Andrew, but we do know he was one of the first to follow Jesus. Skip with me ahead now. Go to the Gospel of Mark. Just back a little bit. Mark chapter 1. Jesus goes back to Galilee. Probably Andrew went to the feast at Cana, the wedding feast. Probably he also saw uh, Jesus get baptized. And, and eventually they end up back in Galilee. That's where Andrew is from. And he just goes back to fishing because that's what he has done. He hasn't received an official call, a formal call, to follow Jesus full time. He spent some time with Jesus, and they get back to Galilee, and he starts doing what fishermen do. He starts fishing. Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother who? Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And how did they respond? The text says, at once, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. You know, I used to think that this was their first encounter with Jesus. But actually, they had encountered Jesus already. You know, sometimes I think we believe that God calls us to follow him and he gives us no evidence uh, to base our faith on. Sometimes we feel like we're supposed to follow in blind faith. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the way that God operates. He always gives us something to go off of. 
He gives us sufficient evidence upon which to base our faith. Now, he does call us to make big steps of faith, but there's always a little bit of a history. God previously working in our life. God saying, remember what I did in the past. Somebody inviting somebody saying, this is what God has done for me. You should try God also. So now, as he calls these men to leave their livelihood, they had already encountered him. They already heard about him. They already knew he was at least somebody of great interest. And so they decided to follow him, leaving everything behind. Go back with me to the the Gospel of John, looking at three major snapshots now in the life of Andrew. Three pictures of what he was like as a follower of Jesus. John chapter 6. Going to a well-known story. John chapter 6. Outside of these three snapshots, outside of the verses we've referenced already, there's not a lot else that the Bible has to say about Andrew. So let's see what we can learn about him. So far we know he's a fisherman, just kind of an ordinary guy, but he's received an extraordinary call to follow Jesus. John chapter 6. So in this story, it's well known to you, Jesus is preaching. A lot of people come follow him. There's at least 5,000 people there. And it's getting late. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey, it's getting late. Uh, How much money do we have? Uh, How much will it take to feed all these people? And Philip says, Lord, there's not enough. It would take eight months' wages, and that's probably not even enough to feed everybody here. What are we going to do? What are our options? And, And look at what it says here. Verse 8, John 6, verse 8. Another one of his disciples, who? Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? He doesn't know what Jesus can do with this little boy and his lunch. We're not sure how the little boy feels about volunteering to share his lunch with everybody. But here we see an early snapshot of Andrew bringing somebody to Jesus. He knows there's a need. He sees something that could help. He doesn't know how, but he knows Jesus has the answer. Maybe you have great need in your life. There are great needs for our church, great needs for our preschool. I don't know where the answer is going to come from, but I know the person who has the answer. I know the person to go to. Andrew knew he could go to Jesus. He knew he could bring this little boy to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do, but you take it from here. And so we see the faith of Andrew in this snapshot. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people if they are willing. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people if they're willing. Then Jesus worked a mighty miracle, of course, you know, multiplying all this food and turning it into something, a feast for every person there. Let's go to John 12. Snapshot number two. Andrew, ordinary person, not the most well-known, but he knows who to bring people to. He knows where the answers are. John chapter 12 and verse 20. 
It's now the last week, the last few days of Jesus' life. He's there in Jerusalem. He's there at the temple. And the Feast of Passover is near. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. It's interesting. One commentator said, At the beginning of Christ's life, wise men came from the east wanting to see Jesus. Now here at the end of his life, we see people coming from Greece, which is geographically west. They're coming from the west wanting to see Jesus. Some have said that the reason they talked to Philip and Philip talked to Andrew. Philip and Andrew both have Greek names. Maybe there was some connection there. Uh, probably these Greeks are in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. So they're not able to get access at that time to the inner part. So Jesus is probably on the inside and they can't go in there. So they talk to the disciples and they say, hey, could you go get Jesus? Because we want to talk to him. We want to we see him. We want to know more about this guy that we've heard about. Philip, he is not really sure what to do. He needs to consult with somebody. So who does he go to? He goes to Andrew. He goes up to Andrew. Andrew, what do we do? Andrew knew what to do, right? And he knew who to go to. Now, it's cool in this story that Andrew didn't do what at least some of the disciples did when the moms wanted to bring their babies to Jesus, their little children. You remember that story? Jesus is sitting there, and the moms are thinking, boy, we, wanna, we want Jesus to bless our kids. Let's bring them to Jesus. And some of the disciples are like, Jesus is too busy. He doesn't have time for kids. So I'm sorry, just go away. But Jesus found out, and, and he wouldn't have anything to do with that. He said, no, come to me. So Philip and Andrew could have done that. They could have been like, you know what? Jesus is very busy right now. And you're not even a Jew, so I'm sorry, I'm just going to make the call on this one. Go away. But that's not what they did. And almost previewing Andrew's mission to reach the Greek people, to reach the people of Greece, Andrew says, I know exactly what to do. We're taking the request to Jesus. Now, unfortunately, the pages of Scripture don't record what happened after that. But I'll bet you uh, that Jesus went to go see them. Uh, because Jesus always wanted to talk to people who were open and were receptive. So again, we see Andrew just doing ordinary things. But God can use those ordinary things to do extraordinary things. Helping people from other cultures, other nations, know about him. Snapshot number two, Andrew again, helping facilitate bringing people to Jesus. Let's go to our third and final snapshot picture from the life of Andrew. We're going back to where we started, John chapter one. It wasn't just the little boy, it wasn't just the, the Greek seekers that Andrew helped to bring to Jesus. There was somebody else Someone closer to home. John chapter 1, verse 40. Again, we read, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 
was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. And then verse 41, notice his response. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him where? To Jesus. Peter, this, this person that we said, oh, he's probably the top person that people know of in the world, this, this disciple that's really famous. He was brought to Jesus by Andrew, by his brother. Andrew, this ordinary guy, brings his brother to Jesus and extraordinary things happen. Maybe Andrew wasn't the best preacher, but think about the effects of what he did in bringing Peter to Jesus. On one day alone, after the Holy Spirit got a hold of Peter, after it filled Peter on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and how many people were converted in one day? 3,000 people. The ripple effect from Andrew's simple decision, hey, I need to tell my brother about this guy. An ordinary invitation with extraordinary impacts. And of course, we today are part of the ripple effect of what was done. Through the preaching of Peter, through the writings of Peter, we are blessed even to this day because of what Peter did, because of what Andrew did. There are no small actions in the kingdom of God when you're working for God. Everything has its ripple effects, effects that will be felt throughout eternity. Do you like throwing rocks into lakes and rivers and stuff? It's fun to get the, the biggest boulder you can, the biggest rock. Uh, sometimes maybe your friend's by the river and you throw a rock and it splashes them, and, and that's not nice, but it is funny. <laughs> um, but when you do that, it sends out ripples, ripples that go out for a long ways. When we do stuff, to help people know about Jesus, the ripple effects extend for eternity. Probably many of us can trace back and think back in our own life the reason that we're here today, the reason that our family knows about Jesus, the reason that our, your grandparents maybe is because somebody was willing to extend an invitation. I was talking to my family and they were telling us about the call porter. The person selling books, Christian books, Adventist books, door to door, that talked to somebody in my family history. And because of that, they began to study. They began to, to learn and accept and grow. And they eventually accepted and were baptized. And, and now there is this legacy because of that. Anita tells these stories, inspiring stories about people who just find a simple little piece of paper that has printed material on it glow tracks come to accept. My friend Christina was knocking on doors one day. There was an evangelistic seminar coming up. Christina was this skinny little blonde girl and she's going door to door telling people about the seminar and seminar much like what we're going to be having in, in less than five weeks. She meets this guy. This guy does not look like the person who would be interested at all in evangelistic meetings, in prophecy seminars, I should say. 
His hair's crazy, he's got crazy things going all over the place, and he's got this crazy car, it's a hearse, drives a hearse around just because that's who he is. And he, admittedly, he wasn't interested in the seminar to begin with. But for some reason, he's thinking about it and he says, okay, if somebody else invites me to these meetings, if I get a second invitation, well, then I'll go. Well, the Bible worker who was helping these young people go down the street, passing these flyers out, decided, you know what, let me just go back and talk to that guy again. Let me invite him again. Goes back down the street, gives him an invitation, and this time the guy says, all right, I guess I have to go. I decided if I got a second invitation, I would go. By the way, it takes multiple invitations generally for somebody to attend something like that. He attends, and long story short, he ends up getting baptized. His life totally turns around, and he's a pastor today. Uh, In fact, some of you know him, Nathaniel Gibbs. He was here, and he did a creation evolution seminar. He was, his life was totally changed because two people gave him an invitation. Just ordinary people. An ordinary invitation, and extraordinary things happened because they were willing to be used by God. So here we have Andrew. Three brief snapshots. He's just a fisherman. He's a tradesman. He's ordinary. He hasn't been trained in theological school. He hasn't, he, he failed out of all these uh, classes with the rabbis, likely. That's why he's a fisherman. But when he met Jesus, he realized Jesus knows what to do, and he can change lives. And so he brings the little, fi- little boy with the food to him. He tries to bring Jesus to the Greek people. And he brings his brother. Maybe, maybe you'll never preach a sermon in your life. Maybe you won't become the next great evangelist in the Adventist church. But every single person is important. It's like, it's like band. I, I played trombone from fifth grade through twelfth grade, and I was even talking to the guys, uh, Joel at CVCA said, hey, if you ever needed some help with the trombone, you know, uh, I, I'd be happy to help. And he said, good, because we're wanting to do 76 trombones, and we only have two so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> some work to do. But you know, Something I remember from band, after a concert where we played and so forth and people enjoyed it, people would come up to our conductor and they would say, awesome, it was so wonderful, you did such a good job, amazing. And he would say, you know what? This doesn't make any sound. This baton doesn't make any sound. If it weren't for the people who have the instruments, who are practicing, who are following, who are They've learned music theory. They're learning what I'm trying to teach them. If it weren't for that, nothing would happen. I tell you what, friends, I could preach to an empty church every Sabbath. I could preach to an empty hall here when we do our evangelistic seminar. And it might be good practice for me, but nothing will happen unless the members of the church, the band, do their part. Every person even the person in the band who plays the little triangle. It's a really small, it's just a bent piece of metal. But you can hear it so easily. One little piece of metal hitting the other piece of metal, and you ding, you hear it. It helps keep the band 
you know, the percussion keeps them on track sometimes with the rhythm. Every instrument in band is important, whether it's the small piccolo or the big tuba. They all are important. Maybe today you feel like Andrew. Maybe you don't feel like the most famous church member or you don't feel like you have all this training and so forth. But you know what? Andrew didn't have it either. He was just an ordinary guy that God did extraordinary things through. And I want to invite you to, to look in your bulletin. There should have been a card like this. It says, Operation Andrew. If you don't have a card... I've given extra to the deacons. Richard's there in the back. Just raise your hand if you want a card, need a card, and we'll pass one out to you. Pull it out. Pull it out right now. Take a look at it. Operation Andrew. It's called that because Andrew was helping invite people to come to Jesus. And that's the opportunity each one of us have as we're preparing for our meetings, our seminar, where people can encounter Jesus and learn about his word, starting in less than five weeks. This is an opportunity for you to start thinking intentionally about the people that you want to invite. So pull out a pencil, pull out a pen. If you don't have one, you can borrow one or you can do this when you get home. But make sure you do it. The best time to, to fill it out and start filling it out is right now. It says, by the grace of God, for the next five weeks, I will pray daily for these people and I will look for opportunities to invite them to our upcoming seminar. It's that simple. It starts by praying. Lord, bless this person. Work in their life. Help them to become receptive to spiritual things. And Lord, if it's your will, give me an opportunity to invite them. Maybe you just first invite them really casually. You just say, oh, hey, uh, I know that... You say, hey, we're having some meetings at our church uh, upcoming in the next month. Uh, maybe I'll, when we get flyers, I'll, I'll give you one. Just really casual. Uh, just super simple. And then as we get closer, you can bring a brochure by. Tell them about the meetings. Tell them about this opportunity. Uh, we'll be having seminars in the future for some of your friends. They're not ready. Uh, however, don't just always put that off to the future because t Jesus is going to come someday. Uh, so some of your friends, maybe they're not ready, but maybe by f five weeks of praying for them, they'll become ready. Think about if Andrew had never invited Peter to come see Jesus. Hopefully he would have found out another way. He probably could have. But what if he didn't? What if that skinny little blonde girl hadn't given that first flyer to Nate Gibbs? Nate would still be driving a hearse around. He still would be living a life apart from Jesus. Now if you have more than five friends... You can write them on the back, you can write them on the front. If you can only think of one right now, just write that one down. Take the challenge. Follow the example of Andrew. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people like you and like me. You know, one day, there was a pastor. He preached a prophecy seminar. People attended, but it wasn't very well attended. And at the end of the seminar, only one person was baptized. It was just kind of a young man who was already kind of connected to the church, so it wasn't even somebody from outside in the community. And the pastor was maybe a little bit discouraged. But you know who that man was? That person was Mark Finley, who gave his life to the Lord in those meetings. Mark Finley, for those of you who aren't aware, is one of the 
one of the biggest soul winners within the Adventist church today. He's preached over 150 evangelistic seminars, and many of them are net seminars, so it's streamed via into multiple churches across you know, America and around the globe via satellite and the internet and so forth. In fact, I was baptized because of the ministry of Mark Finley. He's written all these books. He's done things, and thousands and thousands of people have been one to the Lord through him. What could have been a discouraging circumstance was actually one of the, probably the best thing that pastor has ever done. God works through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But he can't do extraordinary things if we aren't willing to say, yes, Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do. I'm willing, I'm scared maybe, I don't know how to do it. Well, you can talk to Manny and Matthew if you need some courage, if you need some tips on inviting people, talk to myself. But are you willing today? Let's pray. Dear God, I'm thankful that the Bible is not full of super saints, but it's full of people that are average, that are common, like, like all of us are. But when we're willing to give ourselves to you, you can do big and great things. Not for our glory, but for your glory and for the benefit of the people who will feel the wonderful effects of these decisions throughout eternity. Help us to be faithful. Give us joy and give us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, let all God's people say, Amen. Amen.